2: Step right up and prepare to be unsettled. You have left behind your safe reality and fallen into darkness. There is no escape and there is no reprieve. Welcome to the Simply Scary Podcast, Season 2, Episode 8. I am GM Danielson, your guide through these... ...twisted worlds of the most disturbed imaginations. Now, it's time for the passion to unfold. Passion can be as painful as it is pleasurable. As such, this next story will acquaint you with a malevolence of a different kind... ...as the dark proclaims its passion for consuming you... Prepare yourself as Olivia Steele guides you into a pitch-black world that devours the light in Brandon Wills. The Shadows will get you.
3: But why do I have to go?
4: Lauren pleaded to her parents. Despite her pleading, Lauren's parents remained stern. There was no talking her way out of this one. Lauren stared out the window, watching the passing trees and houses zoom by through the back roads as her mother answered her. You know why, Lauren.
5: You've asked a thousand times, and we tell you the same answer. It's because you've been in that room for months, staring at that computer screen nonstop, and drove yourself into this moody, depressed thing that we don't know is our Lauren. Your father and I agree that being in the country for the summer, away from high-speed internet and cell phones, will cure that. Your Uncle Victor and Aunt Charlotte kindly extended the invitation to us, and besides, you haven't seen your cousin Arthur since you were both still teeny toddlers.
4: Lauren could already feel the withdrawals She had posted a dozen tweets and Facebook posts about how much she was going to hate it, and how much she hated her parents in the weeks leading up to the trip.
3: What am I supposed to do for fun?
4: (sighs) Lauren's father sighed before suggesting an option.
6: Oh, be a human and go outside. Won't you enjoy what nature has to offer? Hey, look! The GPS says we're ten miles away now. Oh, You'll love it. Uncle Victor grows the best stuff around, and your Aunt Charlotte could beat Paula Dean. I guarantee you.
3: Yeah, sure, Dad.
4: Lauren rolled her eyes and turned the music up on her phone. Her earbuds played some melodramatic, over-emotional music that matched her mood perfectly as she watched more trees and fewer houses go by.
6: And we're
3: here!
4: Her father shouted so as to be heard over her music. Lauren looked out the window and saw an enormous field filled with wheat. Uncle Victor and Aunt Charlotte's little house sat neatly in the middle of the stalks in a yard, alongside their sizable barn. The dwelling was a white two-story farmhouse with huge windows in each room. At each of the yard's four corners... Lauren noted floodlights that would have looked more at home in a stadium than on private property. Her uncle and aunt walked outside as the car door slammed shut.
0: Lauren! Oh my lord, you've grown so much! Look at you!
4: Aunt Charlotte grabbed Lauren by the face, kissing her multiple times. Frank! You're gray!
6: Oh, uh, thanks, Charlotte. The the mirror does remind me every morning.
4: Uncle Victor rubbed his balding scalp front to back, grinning.
1: Oh, don't feel bad. (laughs) At least you have some.
4: (laughs) All right, Lauren. Well, Arthur would come say hi, but he's busy with his nose in a book. His room is next to the guest room. Your room. If you want to shake hands or whatever kids do to greet each other these days. Lauren just stared at her in confusion as she went inside. As he finished a discussion with her father about the wheat, Uncle Victor approached her.
1: I'll show you in. I got this farm from my father, you know. He came here all the way from Germany. Started off with a few seeds he got from the market that used to be down the road from here. All these darn superstores took that away. Farmers' markets are nice, but they just don't compete, and they don't have the magic. Anyway, back then, it was trees with nothing on it. You know the old man that owned it? He spoke a little German himself, and, you know, he gave my father just one piece of advice before he signed the deed.
4: Mm Mm-hmm. What was that? Lauren asked mostly because she knew she was supposed to. Her uncle looked at her expectantly, but she was growing exasperated with this little game. And what does that mean, Uncle
3: Victor?
1: He told my father to beware the nightfall. The shadows.
3: You're telling me this, why?
1: Well, at night, we lock all the animals up. Find them butchered in the yard in the morning if we don't. Kids in the area go missing, too. It only happens near this darn forest. Don't know why, but it just does. And Those are the rules. That's what the lights are for. Don't ever venture out past your own shadow. And you'll be okay.
4: Understood?
3: (laughs) Seriously? You expect me to believe this?
4: Lauren practically goffed.
3: I'm not going anywhere, anyhow, because I didn't want to be here in the first place.
4: Now, there's
1: no need to get snippy. You just do as you're told.
4: Uncle Victor opened the door to the guest room. It was quite large, almost twice as big as her room at home. There was a dresser, a bed, vanity mirror, and a large flat-screen TV hanging on the wall.
1: Oh, now we have satellite TV, but there's no internet or cell service for miles. Wouldn't want it anyway, too distracting. Now your aunt will be up here in about an hour once dinner is done. That should give you time to unpack and get situated.
4: He had already started walking out the door when he turned around.
1: remember, don't go outside after dark, or the shadows will get you.
4: He smiled at her a few seconds, but then let it fade from his face, fixing her with a serious glare as he closed the door. Creepy Hicks. Lauren dug through her bags until she was called down for dinner. When she entered the dining room, she saw the table filled with food. It was close to a banquet. she had never seen anything so exquisite. Uncle Victor noticed her wide eyes and laughed.
1: (laughs) Honey, I I think you've stunned the girl.
3: Sorry, I'm not used to something so uh, plentiful.
1: Plentiful, she says. This is how we eat here. You fill up at night and you'll sleep like a bear.
4: Right, She noticed Arthur for the first time. He was a chubby kid with long hair and acne. He sat there, his nose buried deep in a book. Laura knew they were only a few months apart, but couldn't help but notice how different they were. She sat down and grabbed her spoon. Her aunt smacked her hand. Not before grace, young lady. She shook her hand from the sting. Sure, yeah, fine.
1: May this food strengthen and nourish our bodies, and thank you for the beautiful woman who cooks it for us every day. Also, may you guide our Lauren down the path of light towards you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
4: Lauren felt uncomfortable and didn't know how to react, so she waited for everyone else to eat before digging in. She understood why her father had praised Aunt Charlotte's cooking. The food was amazing. After dinner, she decided to speak with her cousin Arthur, just so that the awkwardness could be over with. During the meal, she caught him staring at her a few times, only for him to look away. She found him in his room, several books spread across his bed. Hey, Arthur. He glanced up for a second, and then back down to his book. Hey. What you reading? Stuff. Oh, well, sorry to bother. She turned around, about to leave when he told her to wait.
7: The stuff Dad told you? It's true. Yeah, right. I don't believe- No, really. They got my friend Billy. Who? Who is they? The Shadows. The sheriff found him, cut up like a lawnmower ran over him. They found pieces of his skull all over the place. I I really regret knowing that.
3: Do you really believe that? About the Shadows?
7: Oh, yeah. I found some old books at the library. This goes back to even the natives. They wouldn't even bother settling here. No one really did until artificial lights were first put in. Most people who did were either scared out or killed.
4: This was intriguing enough to punch through her boredom. She grabbed his chair and turned it so they could talk. So, what are they?
7: Dunno. The native term doesn't translate. We don't even call them a name now, just shadows.
3: Boogeymen. Great.
4: Lauren threw up her hands.
3: I didn't even want to come, but my parents insisted that I get away. (laughs) Now after that story, I'm going to stay in my room for the next month until we leave.
4: Arthur paused, as if to consider her remark.
7: There's a nice hiking trail behind the house if you get bored. I go up there sometimes. There's some neat Native American carvings up there.
4: That got her attention. She loved being outside despite what her father and mother might think. There was a great hiking trail a few miles from her house at a state park that she liked.
3: Let's go tomorrow. I haven't stretched my legs in a while.
7: Sure, we can do that.
4: The next day, she put on the closest thing she had to hiking boots and grabbed a few necessities. Arthur led her to and down the trail. The path was a few miles long and there was some surprising dense clusters of trees as they went further in. She looked back only once and could just make out one of the set of floodlights. When they stopped for a water break, they were just past a rocky outcrop with a small ledge just above their eye lines. There were some carvings that looked like some of the photos Arthur had shown her from his books.
7: See, this is where they say the natives would leave their sacrifices. Oh, cool. It's also where they found Billy.
4: That's f- As she spoke, Lauren felt a sharp pain arch through her skull. She fell to the ground, the back of her head pumping blood all over her motionless body.
7: Yep, because they really did sacrifice people here. I'm sorry, but they're hungry, and Dad says the electric bills are killing us.
4: Lauren's vision faded as she watched Arthur walk away, holding the bloody ball-peen hammer he'd pulled from his pack. When she woke up, she was lying in a pool of her own blood. The gore had coagulated, turning her hair into knots. She was delirious, and her head throbbed endlessly. Who-where-what? She looked around her, the sun had gone down hours ago, and there was no sign of the protective circle thrown off by the floodlights. In fact, in this near-perfect darkness, she couldn't even see her own hand in front of her. She saw nothing, nothing but shadows.
2: Some food for thought. Perhaps the settlers of the frontier days were right to fear their native brethren. Being at one with nature can have its dark side as well. When we return, we will venture further down the gaping moor that is my dungeon.
1: Well, howdy folks, the other half here. You want this show to keep going, I know, I know, but we do that with your support. It ain't free, you know. So besides becoming a patron and a member at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com or Patreon.com slash ChillingTales, you might be asking, hey other half, how can I support your form of killer broadcasting? I ain't got no scratch. Well, we've come up with other ways to help us keep this show dead alive. When shopping with Amazon, use the link ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com forward slash Amazon or Podcast.com forward slash Amazon and a portion of your purchases go to keeping this Frankenstein's monster pumping with voltage. So remember, use ChillingTalesfordarknights.com forward slash Amazon and simply scarypodcast.com forward slash Amazon when purchasing through there to help promote fan-funded entertainment like ours. Now, back to the show.
2: As we take the final turn on our journey, we will bring you something that is a bit different from your normal creepy creepypasta horror fare. This story borrows from a classic tale to introduce us to how old fears can be as frightening as the new ones. And curiosity can definitely kill the cat. Brindelyn McNair performs as the heroine of our tale, along with a stunning cast in John Andraney's *Warning Signs*.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs
5: There I was, on the cover of a drugstore romance novel. My arms wrapped around the chiseled torso of a bronze god. My long, luscious hair blowing in the wind. His sea-blue eyes searching the horizon for our destiny. His hand gradually slipping down to my throat. My upstairs neighbor dropped what sounded like a bowling ball on the floor ten minutes before the alarm was set to go off. The smell of frying fish wafted in from somewhere on my floor. Who cooks fish at six in the morning? This was my life. A continuous series of questions without answers. Why aren't you married? Why didn't you finish your law degree? Why do you have such a bad track record with men? I put the pillow over my head, trying to muffle the nagging static of my life, and I contemplated calling in sick. Sick of what? Sick of being me. A powder blue linen envelope bound with a delicate gold ribbon was lying on my chair when I arrived at my cube that morning. My name, Janine Wallace ran across the front in beautiful, delicate calligraphy. I was mesmerized by the mysterious message as I hung up my coat, running possibilities through my mind like flashcards, but nothing made any sense. It could be a prank. I quickly surveyed the large bullpen of cubes surrounding me, trying to spot any suspicious behavior or smirking faces, but, as usual, no one seemed to notice I was there. Law firms are not relaxed, chummy places, and after six months as a paralegal with the San Francisco mega-firm of LeBou, Beardsley, and Cutter LLP, I knew the names of only five people in my office. Carefully untying the ribbon, I flipped open the card and read the six lines of graceful script, my eyes widening in astonishment as they passed over every word. Janine. Julian Cutter invites you to a welcome spring party at his home. 5 Peralt Court, Tiburon. 6 p.m. Saturday, April 24th. No RSVP necessary. I turned the card over looking for the gotcha, but found nothing. Moments later, I stood just outside the office of senior partner Julian Cutter, trying to catch his attention as he talked on the phone. The trim, beautifully handsome Bigger-than-life senior partner had his back to the door and was gesturing dramatically and angrily as he spoke. I'd seen him, of course, and passed by him in the hallways many times, but his confident bearing and perfectly tailored suits and slightly sinister soul patch of dark, wiry whiskers beneath his bottom lip were intimidating, and I usually avoided eye contact. The invitation had to be some kind of mistake. Julian finally swiveled in his chair and smiled broadly when he saw me putting up one carefully tanned and manicured finger as he finished the call it was then i noticed the nautical theme of his office there were photos of all sizes of him deep sea fishing from the back of a boat and several large fish mounted on the wall it seemed an oddly appropriate hobby for a criminal lawyer i heard him say in a loud whisper
6: look i'll tell you when to speak and when to shut up okay
5: He finally set his phone on the desk and stood.
6: Ah, Janine, Janine, Janine. Wait, you're not going to tell me you can't make it, are you?
5: I, uh, no. I mean, yes, I can make it. But are you sure? We don't know each other.
6: You are absolutely right. Honestly, I feel like that's the problem. It's a large firm. Eh, Too large, maybe. And that's why I throw this party every spring, and I make it a point to invite some of our employees that, well, I haven't really gotten a chance to buddy up to yet. Consider it an icebreaker of sorts.
5: Oh, <laughs> okay. I blush, looking down at my scuffed sail rack shoes. Is it a dressy affair?
6: No, 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 no. Absolutely not. Completely casual. In fact, I'd bring a swimsuit if I were you just so happens there's a bay, a boat, and a heated pool.
5: Wow! Uh, thank you. I'll be there.
6: Great. Janine, you will not regret it.
5: So I returned to my desk, wondering if I'd detected an arched eyebrow when he said I wouldn't regret it, but decided it was my usual overactive imagination and tucked the invitation into my purse. A moment later, I was ambushed by my neighbor, Carol, the one person who I would call a friend at work, clutching an envelope to her chest and grinning wildly. You will never guess what just happened. As I watched Carol bouncing up and down, I reached into my purse and held up the invitation, which changed her expression like a slap in the face. Uh, You got one too? I'm afraid so. Sorry. Sorry.
8: What are you going to wear?
5: Glass slippers. You?
8: <laughs> a sandwich board that says marry me on both sides. <laughs> Subtle. I like it. Share a cab?
5: The entrance to Julian's estate began as a thin driveway branching off of the highway, winding its way up a wooded hillside through scraggly, wind-blown pines and mounds of dry brush. The thin forest gave way suddenly to a long expanse of carefully manicured grass, leading to the entrance of Julian's neoclassical monstrosity. Carol and I sat in the back seat in stunned silence as the cab pulled up to the wide front steps.
1: Well, here you go, ladies. Uh, Hope you have a great night. Uh, That'll be $15, please. Oh, thanks, ma'am. Take care.
5: Feeling overwhelmed and underdressed, I tapped the front door tentatively. Almost immediately, the door swung open, and a rotund Hispanic woman in a starched uniform escorted the two of us to a large backyard pool area, where about a dozen attorneys with the firm were chatting, drinking, and noshing. Not surprisingly, no one glanced up as we joined the group.
6: You made it!
5: (laughs) Julian danced his way gingerly around partygoers and expensive outdoor furniture and took our hands.
6: Oh, oh, you both look so great. Thank you so much for coming.
5: He gave us a brief tour of his house, and it was a challenge to respond like mature adults and not giddy children walking through Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Julian eventually located a couch with some vacant space.
6: So there you go. And just relax, enjoy, and you just let me know if you need anything at all.
5: Several glasses of wine later, Carol and I were feeling much more at ease and enjoying the stories of a retired partner.
1: So, immediately after finding him guilty of public intoxication, indecent exposure, and urinating on a woman's leg, the judge calls me to the bench leans down, and asks me if I can get an autograph from my client. For his daughter, of course. <laughs> did you do it? Well, hell yeah, I did it. Sentencing went much better than expected.
5: Sitting next to me, Carol picked up a fresh drink from the tray of a waiter. Doesn't strike me as the house
8: of a serial killer. <laughs> what? What? You're too new to be a stop on the rumor rounds. I'll fix that, but our host has a very unsavory history when it comes to women. His first wife died in a boating accident, her body was never found, and his second wife left him, he claims, but she completely disappeared off the face of the planet. Being one of the best criminal attorneys in the Midwest came in handy as no one could find any solid evidence of foul play in either case. You think he killed his wives? Oh, and shortly after his second wife left him, he started seeing this new anchor, Cindy Fletcher. Six months later, she died in a car fire after an accident that burned the body beyond recognition. In other words...
6: Ladies, there you are.
5: Looking fresh from a GQ photo shoot, dressed in white slacks, deck shoes, and a blue knit shirt with the monogram I was too bourgeoisie to recognize, a smiling Julian approached us and sat on the edge of a lounge chair,
6: And how are we doing?
5: I hoped he couldn't detect my nervousness. We are doing great. Um, wonderful party. And your house is (laughs) simply awesome. Carol nodded in agreement.
6: Oh, thank you so much. Now listen, how would you two like to go take a little spin around the
5: bay? I waited a split second too long, and Carol cut in first.
8: Sounds like fun, but I really don't do well on boats. Motion sickness. Janine? Sure.
5: Sounds like fun. Despite my initial reservations, it really was fun. The early evening sun was warm, the bay water calm, and Julian was charming and funny. Being an introvert, I'd never met anyone like him before, and it was exhilarating just to be around him. Smart, but not cocky. Self-confident, but not narcissistic. Julian was very hard to resist. And by the time we docked at the marina that night, I'd stopped trying. My calendar now included a dinner date for the following Thursday night. Despite the dirty looks and cold shoulders from my colleagues at the firm... After a three-week romance, I moved in with Julian. I'd never been happier in my life. For the first time, I felt wanted and appreciated and, I had to admit it, loved. He put me on a pedestal and I devoured every second of it. Contrary to everything I'd believed about myself, I was also attracted to his notoriety to the perceived rich bad boy with a sketchy past. I'd never wandered into that neighborhood before, and it was both disquieting and secretly exhilarating. Julian and I split time between staying at his house and romantic days and nights on the yacht. We drifted through star-filled evenings rocking gently in the bay, gulls calling out, wine and cheese holding each other, salty ocean spray cooling our bodies... I felt truly alive for the first time. A week later, we were enjoying a drive through the misty, vine-covered hills of Napa County when Julian turned to me and smiled. Why are you smiling?
6: Let's just get married. We can drive up to Reno today, and we'll be husband and wife by tomorrow.
5: Emotions poured over me like a warm waterfall. Why should I say yes? I could think of a million reasons. Why should I say no? There was only one, and I'd come to the conclusion already that it was merely vicious gossip acid-dripped by jealous, unhappy women. The next day, we set our I-dos, gambled away an obscene amount of money, and walked the strip drinking champagne from Styrofoam cups. I felt like I'd gone through a metamorphosis, I'd shed the shy, half-empty Janine and was now a new, improved version of myself who wasn't afraid to engage the world and live life out loud. A few days after we returned from Reno, Julian said he had to fly to New York the following afternoon to meet with a client and he'd be gone a few days. A short break to collect my thoughts actually seemed like a good thing to me. I'd grown to love my time on the yacht and asked if I could stay there while he was gone. He said that was fine and gave me the keys to the boat, The only condition was that I not open the locked freezer he had on board, as it contained bait that would spoil quickly. This didn't seem unreasonable to me at the time. And the next night, I parked at the marina and boarded our boat, with a small bag of toiletries and clean clothes. The yacht was obscenely spacious and decadent, with something gold or marble almost anywhere your eyes rested. I loved the soothing, gentle rolling of it as I lay in bed, a glass of wine next to me. For some reason, I was having trouble falling asleep and went to the galley for a nightcap. As I finished pouring the drink, my attention was drawn to the small freezer nearby and the large, ugly padlock that kept its contents a secret. Why such dramatic security for a bunch of frozen fish bait, I wondered. I wasn't a lawyer, but even I could sense now something was off about Julian's story. Keeping the lid up for a few seconds wasn't going to have any adverse effects on the frozen contents. The fob with keys rested on a counter and I could hear its siren song. I was suddenly more than a bit curious about the freezer. My mind started swirling with suspicion. I didn't like the fact that he was hiding something from me. Could it be drugs? Stacks of cash to be laundered? Uh, Blood diamonds? Taking a breath, I twisted the bow and the lock separated with a loud metallic click. Tentatively, I lifted the lid and was relieved to find the contents appeared to be exactly what he said it would be. Dozens of ice-covered plastic bags piled on top of each other, containing pink pieces of fish for bait. I felt a bit ashamed of myself, until one of the bags caught my eye. Something didn't seem quite right, and I lifted it up for a closer inspection. What had at first looked like some type of pinkish-yellow flatfish now resembled something totally different in the light. It looked like a human hand. The connection between my eyes and my brain was delayed a millisecond until I turned the bag over and counted five dark red fingernails. I threw the bag down, grabbed the keys, and ran upstairs to the dock, scrambling frantically toward the nearby parking lot hands shaking uncontrollably, it took several tries before I could get the keys into the ignition. But once I did, tires squealed and I steered madly toward the exit. Should I call 911? I needed to calm down and collect my thoughts, so I tapped Carol's icon. Janine? Carol! Please!
8: I need to come by. my god, what's wrong? You sound like you're in trouble. I found out something
5: horrible about Julian. I'll tell you once I get there. My face red and stained with tears. I stumbled into Carol's apartment and fell on the couch face down. Carol poured a glass of wine and then sat with me, rubbing my back, waiting patiently for me to gain control of myself. After several minutes, I managed to push myself up, bloodshot eyes staring off into space. You tried to warn me. I know you did. Janine, what happened? Did he hurt you? (laughs) It goes way beyond hurt. He- We both jumped at three sharp cracks on the front door. Carol cautiously crept to the door and peered out, putting a hand over her mouth. Oh my god. It's Julian.
2: Janine?
6: I need to speak to you.
5: Carol and I huddled on the couch, holding each other. Jeanine. Janine! Our eyes widened in terror as the knob turned and the door began to open, stopped only by the chain lock. Carol picked up her phone from the table and dialed 911.
6: Janine, I need you to listen to me very carefully right now. A relationship is supposed to be based on trust. I trust you? not to open the
5: freezer, but
6: you did anyway.
5: How did you find me?
6: I am a lawyer, Janine. I feed on information. This was the only place you would go. You, you betrayed my trust, Janine. And I wanted this relationship to work out. I really did. I really, really did. You failed the test. Test? It was a test? Of course it was! Now let... Honey. Sweetie. Baby. Won't you let me in? Please? It's just... The thing is that... It's hard... To cut you into a hundred little pieces of sea bass bait. It's difficult. When I'm stuck out of this goddamn stoop!
5: The door crashed open, slamming against the wall, and Julian fell into the apartment. Carol grabbed my hand and led us into the bathroom locking the door only seconds before Julian's hand grabbed and twisted the knob violently.
2: You let me in, you cows.
6: You're all alike. Protect your own kind. Safety of the herd. None of you can be trusted. Not a one of you. And I was so stupid to think you were any different. I wanted to trust you, Janine. I really did. I really would Ah, Screw it. Janine, you let me down. Just like the others did.
8: Get out of here! I called the police.
6: Oh, did you now? Well then, I guess I'd better make this quick.
5: There was a thunderous, violent jolt to the door that knocked things off of shelves. Our backs literally against the wall... There was nothing we could do. Nowhere to hide. I could see the wood of the door jam splintering more with each hit. One or two more thrusts, and he'd be in the room, and we'd be. All of a sudden, there was shouting. Other people were in the apartment. Julian screamed something and then. The sound of gunshots startled me so badly, I peed myself. This was followed by silence. Blessed silence. Then there were several soft knocks on the door.
1: Hello, SFPD. Officer Kendall.
6: It's safe for you to come out now.
5: After listening to my story... As rambling as it was, the police asked if I would show them the boat and the freezer. I was tired, reeking of my own urine, and wanted nothing more than a shower and my bed. But I agreed. We headed to the marina, lights flashing, sirens blaring. Chilled and still wearing a blanket over my shoulders, I led the three cops down the dock to Julian's boat. One of the men whistled in amazement when I pointed it out.
1: You two were married?
5: Unfortunately,
1: yes. (laughs) You're going to end up with a nice little canoe, ma'am.
5: Thankfully, they didn't ask me to go on board, and the trio disappeared into the bowels of the yacht as I waited on the dock, sobbing, sniffling, and drawing the blanket around me tighter against the cool night air. It was only then, under the pale yellow lights of the marina that the name of Julian's boat could now be seen as one of the many warnings I failed to heed. Bluebeard.
2: So, we see how digging in someone else's grave can reveal a rotten truth indeed. And sometimes, it's best to go with your gut instinct and avoid the most appealing prize. There is one last objective to accomplish in order to finalize our freakish festival of fear. And we will accomplish it when we return.
1: The Simply Scary Podcast, Season Two, Episode Eight. Become a patron today, and you'll get the extended version of this show. Here's a sample of the extra stories you get when you become a member.
8: She woke slowly. Sleep clung to her like vicious honey, trying to drag her under again. The pills she had taken before lying down seemed to be very effective, for there was no pain. Every sensation was muffled. Her limbs felt heavy and numb. Had the colors in her bedroom always been this faded? 5799.
2: 5800.
0: I jumped slightly and cried out involuntarily as my beloved's number was read out loud.
1: Become a member today. Go to simplyscarypodcast.com forward slash tour to get more horror than you can handle.
2: Before we leave you, let me update our schedule for you listeners. In our attempts to satisfy all parties involved and maintain a presence on our YouTube platform, we will be presenting three versions of our show for you to enjoy. First, a one-story episode perfect for YouTube's short attention span theater. Second, a two-story free version available on our website simplyscarypodcast.com. Thirdly, the full extended four-story edition of our show available at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com forward slash tour. I recommend you take the tour and become a member to enjoy the full show plus many other horrifying gems you will find nowhere else. And as always, we humbly ask that you please allow the YouTube ads to play during our show and to occasionally click on these ads to assert your viewership and solidify our ability to continue creating content that disturbs you. (laughs) Finally, it is time to make you part of the show by choosing a lucky comment from our website iTunes or YouTube comment sections. This episode's chosen comment is from YouTube. The Hyena Flawless Claws writes, Oh, how I love this podcast. I've made up my mind to become a patron now. I call these stories murder porn, (laughs) lol. My hubby thinks I'm nuts. Thank you guys so much for keeping me entertained. XOX <laughs> well, flawless claws, we are sure your husband says that with a smile on his face as he backs out of the room, never turning his back on you for a second. Don't worry, we will get him too. We always get them in the end. <laughs> And for the rest of you minion zombies, keep the comments coming, and be ready for us to interact with you in more ways than one. This is G.M. Danielson, thanking you for joining us. Remember, audience, when passions inflame, sometimes we say or do things we regret. But beware... That you don't allow your passions to blind you so much that you ignore those warning signs. For you don't always know what you've got till it's been ripped away. Until next time, be ready for us to tickle your fears and shake your sense of self. For you are just experiencing the Simply Scary Podcast.
1: This is executive producer Jesse Cornett. If you like what you hear, be sure to check out more from these authors at simplyscarypodcast.com. There you can find all information regarding the show and the stories appearing here in our podcast. The Simply Scary Podcast is a production of Chilling Entertainment. The showcase is written and produced by Jesse Cornett. The host of the Simply Scary Podcast is GM Danielson. Original music during the show by Jesse Cornett. This broadcast was directed and created by Craig Groschek. Be sure to look for the Simply Scary Podcast on iTunes. And if you like the show, leave us a five-star review. Comments or questions, email us at contact at simplyscarypodcast.com and check our website for more information. While you're there, consider clicking on the Patrons link at the top of the page to help support our show. Copyright Chilling Entertainment, LLC 2017. Thanks for listening.